the spiritual depression to deepen our communion with him. Psalm 73, Grady did two weeks ago, and his idea with God's goodness is seen in his presence with us, regardless of our circumstances. And last week, he taught Psalm 90, where the main idea was the reality of our frailty and our sin should lead us to a greater dependence upon God. And so I just love how he set up, Grady, the, being led by the Lord, these, the schedule here. So through these last few weeks of looking through these psalmists who are struggling with despair and pain and tragedy, dealing with their own sinful nature and struggles of their sin and their flesh, each of these type of things, everything that came out of these psalms, but then God leads us. There's communion with him. There's intimacy with him. We get to see and experience the goodness of God that leads us to a position of greater dependency on the Lord. And then it puts us in a position and a posture as we depend on him to bring us to this psalm as we get to be encouraged by this, to receive an exhortation um, to bring glory and honor and praise to the Lord coming out of these situations of lament or struggle. And so we're going to look at Psalm 33 today, as, by God's grace, as quickly as we can. If I talk like Grady, which he understands, then I'll just kick into Grady mode, and uh, hopefully it won't be too much. But anyway, God help me, please. Number many Padres, Okay. So, Psalm 33, this is really neat. The first 41 chapters of Psalm are called Book 1. Grady gave us a great rundown a few weeks back when we started. There's five books of Psalms that are broken up in sections. So, Book 1 are the first 41 chapters. 37 of those chapters were all written by David. Okay? There's only four that are anonymous. So, we get with the, with the final anonymous one here is Psalm 33. We do not know who this psalmist is, but we get to get a glimpse of how he saw God and the glory of God Um, in this declaration of praise. So the main idea I want to bring this morning that we're going to see in Psalm 33 is that God is worthy of praise because his word is right and true and he is faithful in all he does. God is worthy of praise because his word is right and true and he is faithful in all he does. And as you can kind of tell, we've already practice this some this morning. I mean, through the wonderful worship songs that Ashley and the team led us in, we've already engaged in some of this. But now we're just going to get some biblical precedent to see where we can go to, to glean from God's glory and how amazing it is and the praise that he is due. So the first three verses, we're going to look here. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. So right out of the gate, the psalmist here is giving us a call to praise. The word praise in the Hebrew has about four or five different connotations to it. The word is used multiple times, obviously, in the Old Testament with some variations. But there's still an overarching connection with every Hebrew word. So a synopsis of the word in all of its situations in the Psalms and throughout the rest of Scripture is this call to adoration, a call to thanksgiving, to glory, to exaltation, and celebration in God. So everything you're going to hear this morning through this psalm is that's what he is calling us to. He is motivating us and pushing us to this point of this position in our heart and our minds to bring adoration and thanksgiving and glory and exaltation and celebration to the Lord because he's worthy of it. And I love how he starts off here in verse 1. First of all, he's talking to righteous ones. He says here, Oh, you righteous ones, praise is becoming to the upright. And I love how he just starts it out there going, praise is good for you. (laughs) Praise is proper. Praise is suitable. Praise is fitting. If you are a righteous one and a follower of God, where you've given your life to him, praise should automatically be a part of your nature. 
a part of who you are in your DNA as a follower of God, as a righteous one. And so that's the exaltation of what he's trying to encourage these individuals in this time frame to come before the Lord in praise. So now we know there's a call to praise, and then why praise? He gives us reasons here. He's calling the people to praise, and now he's going to give us reasons why we should praise the God that we love and serve. Verses 4 and 5. Why should we play skillfully? Why should we sing? Why should we praise? For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. What he is revealing here in the beginning is a topic that I love to teach on probably more than any other of God's attributes. And I go there time and time again. And what we're going to see in Psalm 33 is the sovereignty and the providence of God. And saints, I don't know if you guys have never done a word study, but I so encourage you as one of your shepherds to dive into a study on God's sovereignty and providence. They're They're the two sides of the same coin. You cannot take them apart. God's sovereignty and God's providence are the same. Again, one big thing, but two sides of his glory and his nature in this. God's sovereignty is simply and amazingly his supreme power and rule over everything. Amen? Everything. He's supreme ruler over everything, over it all. But in the midst of that glory and that power and supreme rule is the beauty of his providence. And um, I love Noah Webster's 1828. I always drop that. Great resource. encourage every family to buy a copy. It's the original dictionary of our American language. And Webster used the Bible and his language, uh, 27 languages that he knew to give us our word. So he defined providence like this. The care and superintendence which God exercises over his creatures. Say that again. The care and superintendence which God exercises over his creatures. And he continues on after the definition with his own little commentary. I love this. The same power which caused a thing to exist is necessary to continue its existence. The only reason we're in this room is because God caused our existence and by his beauty and his love and his grace, he is necessary in our lives to continue our existence. And then it made us think, without him thinking of us for a second, we're dead. We don't exist. We're done. But we get to see through this chapter why he's worthy of praise, his sovereignty and his providence on display here. So let's look at verse 4 again. The word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in what? Faithfulness. How much of his work? All. I got the Grady Let's use a few of his little commentaries. And I love this one that was laid out on this one's topic. The commentary guys here says, An upright person, where it says the word of the Lord is upright, meaning right and true, is an individual full of integrity of heart and the opposite of the perverse. God's verdicts, his rule... And relationship with his people are all characterized by a working out of his plans. He delivers and judges. He rewards and punishes. He gives life, but also levies death. He raises up and abases. Whatever he does is righteous, in that it is an expression of his wisdom and conformity to his will. Whatever he does is just in that there is no unfaithfulness in him. The rule of faith is that whatever God decrees is right, and whatever he brings to pass is faithful and true. The Lord's love is evident in his works on earth, and with respect to the rest of creation, he shows that same loyalty and constancy and love that has found particular expression in the covenantal relationship with his people. And I just love how the psalmist here starts this out on the grand scale of God's splendor and his majesty 
and he flows it into to beginning. The reason we worship, the reason we see his sovereignty and his power is evidenced in his rule and dominion over creation. Look at verse 6. The psalmist flows out that God's words are true, they're right and just, and all of his work is faithful. Verse 6, And by the word of the Lord the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps and storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. And I love how the psalmist repeats that aspect of the word of the Lord. And it's twofold here. Remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, darkness upon the face. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God, what? Said. God, we're supposed to do that one. And God said, let there be light. He spoke creation into existence. He used his breath to breathe life into all that we have, the universe, life, creation, the heavenly host. And it's twofold, because what I love about this is, in John chapter 1, what is the first thing John, through his gospel, the Holy Spirit leads him to say is what? In the beginning was the what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and here it is, and all things came into being through him, the Word. Who's the Logos? Who's the word? Jesus. So here it's even a declaration of the the second person of the Trinity. The pre-incarnate Christ is revealed here saying the word of the Lord, the Logos of God, Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, the agent of creation is involved here. And this is what he did. And so in just those few verses, it just gives us a little encapsulation of what we saw on this screen. And I'm telling you, if that didn't move you, y'all need to come to my office and have a little counseling time. Seriously. (laughs) When you get a glimpse of the majesty of God through that and seeing his beauty, and he did all that primarily for his glory, but for who? You. For all of us to enjoy the splendor of his uniqueness and his glory and his power. And that's why I wanted another little drop of a commercial. Everyone here with a family get Planet Earth, the series, or watch it on Netflix for every family member has children. I watched it with our kids, and it will blow your mind. Majority of what we saw in there came from that BBC documentary series. And it's amazing how God, in his infinite wisdom, used evolutionists to reveal his glory. Seriously. We have to tell our kids, when you hear millions of years, blah, 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 set that aside and just bask in the glory of God through his creation. It is amazing. It's really truly indescribable of some of the things you will see and what God allowed man, us, to see so he would be glorified. And for us to go... Wow, I had my kids watching this time and go, wow, Dad, did God do that? Yes, why? For his glory, for you to see it and go, wow. For at that moment, you're giving him praise. And so that's what we're going to see here. So he starts, we get to see God's glory. And the reason for praise and adoration and thanksgiving, first and foremost, is we see his glory in the dominion of creation and his glory being revealed through that. In verse 8, I love how he puts this in perspective. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Fear of the Lord here, guys, remember, is not this. You know, that type of fear. This fear of the Lord is what I just said. The Everybody go. Sometimes if you ever experience that, seeing the video, that's the fear of the Lord. The awe and the reverence of God. I was at a courthouse last week going there to support someone who was at a, a court proceedings. 
And what happens every time the judge walks in the room? All rise, right? Why are people standing? They're in awe and revering the position of authority. Guys, that's why we stand in his presence. And there's multiple things we're going to see here, but you stand because you're recognizing the awe and the authority and the reverence of a position of authority. And so what I love about the psalmist saying here is the entire earth and every inhabitant of it needs to stand up because he's worthy of it. Needs to recognize his glory, recognize his authority, recognize the honor and respect that is due him. But what I love about the fear of the Lord, because that's one aspect of it, the other primary aspect of it when it's seen throughout Psalms is that that awe and reverence factor is also like when you come before a king or a queen. And anytime you walk into those big throne rooms and the second you walk in the door, instead of standing, they're going to tell you to what? Get on your knees. That's another aspect of honor and reverence is kneeling before and being prostrate. That's showing of humility and respecting the authority and the position that was given him. So the psalmist is laying down that foundation that this is who our God is. This is what he deserves. And it starts as our creator and how glorious he is in that. And then it flows from there. And I love how matter of fact, it's all throughout the Psalms, and we're going to see a couple of the scriptures, that it says he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. He's consistent. It's Nothing can thwart what he wants to do. And look at verse 10. It flows into this. We not only praise him for his dominion and rule over creation. We praise him for his sovereignty and his providence over human history. Saints, why do you think it's called history? Y'all know, get it. His story. It's all about him. From creation on, it's his story. It's his plan. And it all lead, it led to the point of the cross and from then to what we get to experience to where we are and then what we get to experience in glory for eternity. The plan's not done. The mission's not over. His kingdom purpose has not been fully fulfilled yet until we're with him in eternity. And we get to get a glimpse of it right now. Verse 10, his sovereignty over human history. Oh, I love this. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Sorry, guys, I was getting a little emotional down there earlier, so my nose is not caught up yet. Sorry about that. Brought my uh, televangelist thing because uh, a few weeks back when I was preaching, I felt like a waterfall was coming down my face. And I'm like, no offering's going to be taken again, I promise. We're good. Um, all right. Here's so good. Listen, oh, this is so good. I want to tell you guys this. Right now, if you're in this room, and I know you're out there, if you're struggling with finances, if you're struggling with loss, tragedy, pain, doubt, heartache, relationship issues, mockery at your job, situations that you don't think you can handle, that there's despair and hopelessness. These are for you to recognize a God who is so big and so amazing and so loving and kind and gracious and just and holy that he wants and will show up in your situation right now to bring hope and peace and purpose in your life with what we're about to see and who he is. That's why I love chapters like this that make much of his glory. And that same God that we're about to read about, that sometimes you go, ooh, that's an aspect of his nature I don't like to read about very much. But the, the God we're about to read about it abides in you. 
He lives in you. He cares and loves you. He wants to be intimate with you. And it's the same God. The commentary says this, The nations must also know that the order in the world is not the result of a harmonious coexistence of the God's little g. Nothing is accidental. Everything reflects God's wise decree. He alone is reliable. Whatever he spoke came into being. He is also powerful and wise. Order in the world reflects God's sovereign rule. His sovereignty is no cause for dread, but is a comfort to the godly. Creation and providence are the timely operations of God's purposes. Nothing will thwart his plans. Let me repeat that. Nothing will thwart his plans. You can trust his dependability. You can trust his faithfulness. This applies to overall all creation and things going on in the world and in your individual life. So he is faithful and will bring things to pass for his glory. So I want to choose, go to, um, actually I'm going to go because of time-wise. Isaiah 46. I just want to read you a couple of scriptures here. A couple of these are my favorite. I want to submit to you, read Psalm 1, I mean Isaiah 40. There's a lot in there I wanted to read, but just time-wise, um, I'm going to skip on that one. But listen to this one, Isaiah 46. If you want to go there, verse 8 through 11. I, I camp here. I meditate on this. I sleep here so often just because sometimes I just need to tr- remember who he is in this. Isaiah 46, verse 8. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not even been done. Saying, my purpose will be established. And I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Whether it's calling a bird of prey from the east or a man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, there's a part, there's like, he's got a plan. He's got order of things. We can trust him. He's worthy of this. Now, here's a little example how it plays out. I just finished up Jeremiah, reading through, you know, the yearly thing, and I'm on year two, but I'm getting there. I'm almost done reading the Bible through. And praise God for the cross. Amen? When you read the Old Testament, woo! I read through Jeremiah. I'm like, man, I'm glad I didn't live in that day. Because I would have been in exile with the rest of Israel. But this context is so good to give us hope and to see why God's worthy of praise for his sovereign and providential rule. Jeremiah chapter 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I shall announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel. As it pleased the potter to make. Key part. Okay? The clay was spoiled, so he made it into another vessel as it pleased the potter. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So God spoke to Jeremiah saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot maybe to pull down or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build it up and to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. Y'all get that? 
Did you hear this? How serious that is. God's in control of the nations. His counsel will stand. It doesn't matter what the nations may try to do. It doesn't matter what plans um, certain kingdoms may try to put in place. God's purposes will be fulfilled, whether it's to plant the kingdom or uproot it or destroy it. And what happens right after this is that God sent Israel and Judah into exile for 70 years because of their idolatry. And you know what's amazing about it when I read this? And most of you know the story. God used two pagan nations, idolatrous, wicked, sacrificed children to unknown gods, all these things, two pagan nations to bring punishment and discipline on his own people. And then guess what he did after he restored them after 70 years? Punished the two nations that he used. And why? Because he's God. Somebody said, well, that kind of time. We used the pagan nations, so he used, they were puppets in his hand for his glory to discipline his people. And then afterwards, he, he disciplined for doing the very thing that he used them for. Yep. Why? Because he's God. That's the answer. He does as he pleases. It's his pleasure for his glory to prepare his plan of redemption. And all those things played out to bring in Jesus to the cross. All of this. So because of that, we can trust him. Verse 11, plans of his heart from generations to generations. So we trust him in his providence and his sovereignty over situations of life. That's why right now when I watch, which is rarely, Fox News or CNN or any of them, I don't worry. I used to really struggle. But why do I not worry anymore when I see it? Because of what we just read. Who's sovereign? God is. Who's in control? God is. Who has his eye on everything? God does. Do we have to fear? No. And if we do, we're in sin. It's not saying it's still a struggle sometimes, but it is really God has worked on me with these type of scriptures to go, God, you're in control. I trust you. Over the overarching thing of what happens on this planet, it is yours and it's your dominion and rule. Overall. All glory is yours. All power is yours. None of your plans will be thwarted. So the psalmist coming down the home stretch, as you see, we're getting close, I know. But it's too good. Got to do it. You can penalize me later, Grady. So... You don't have to have me back till next year. Okay. Look at verse 13. I love this, how he transitions. So we see God's glory in creation. We see God's power and glory in human history. He's worthy of our praise for that. And then he transitioned into God's glory and his provision, his uh, providence over the hearts and mind of humanity. Uh-oh. Let's get a little close to home now. Because it is. This applies to us. Verse 13. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all. He who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory. Nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Very simply with this, God knows all, sees all, understands all. And what I love about that part is he's looking out over all of humanity understanding the hearts and motives of men and knows how to work and fashion and do what he has to do for his purposes to come to pass. And a part of that is obviously, mostly with even unbelievers, of knowing the hearts of men. This scripture where it says, he not only he fashions the hearts of them all and understands all their works. Not only is it about creation, because that word fashions means mold. So meaning that he not only fashioned and molded us at creation as human beings, but for the purposes of his overall kingdom plan one example that's very clear and it's all throughout the rest of scripture what did he do with pharaoh's heart hardened it so right here is a perfect example and an affirmation 
God hardened Pharaoh's heart for his purposes. He took the heart of Pharaoh, fashioned and molded it for a moment for the purposes he had in store to have his people, people be delivered out of Egypt. It was a part of his plan. And I want to trust that God, don't you? That's the God I want to look to and praise and add, adore and give thanksgiving to. And that's what the psalmist is expressing here. He's a God we can trust. He is overall and he has dominion overall. And he uses verses 16 and 17 kind of neat just going, there's no king, there's no warrior, there's no horse, as strong as they are, as mighty as they may seem to be, all of God's creatures have no true force or power apart from him. Saying there's nothing on this earth that can be powerful enough or forceful enough in and of itself to have any impact. They are nothing without God. No king, no kingdom, no warrior, no horse, as mighty as it is an animal, is irrelevant without the power of God, without him involved, without him being creator. And so that's where this psalmist is leading us, to see God's glory in creation, God's power and glory through human history, God's glory and power and reasons to praise him through the hearts and minds of man. And he comes down to this final declaration of verse 18. And I'm sorry, guys, this is so having to come so quickly. I hope you're getting some stuff. But verse 18, and I love this exhortation, this final declaration of encouragement. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. And guys, this is our hope. That same eye that's looking out on all the inhabitants of the earth, understanding their hearts, understanding their motives. If you're a child of God and you are in awe and reverence of here, if you fear him this morning in that way, that you love him and serve him and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you obey the Lord, his eye is on you in a special way. To do what? To deliver your soul from death, to keep you alive in famine, to provide for you, to sustain you, to do all he's called you to be and to do. He is faithful to do it out of his loving kindness. And the psalmist here is just crying out, He's our help. He's our shield. Our hope is in him. Our trust is in him because of everything that we have mentioned before. And so, guys, it's just even what we sang today. There are reasons to praise him. His word is right and true. He is faithful in all he does in creation, in human history, in the hearts and minds of humanity. This is the God we can trust, and this is the God who is worthy of our praise. And I have to put this in because he just wouldn't feel right to get some closure to this. With everything we've gone through in different parts of life and all your struggles and seeing God work in this way and trusting him in the hearts of men and over dictators and rulers and things on this earth, we go back to, the psalmist did say how we're to praise. Uh-oh, CJ's going there. Maybe he's stepping on some toes now. We're called to praise. Okay, and he gave us some examples. And I just want to give us a little litany of just a little view of what he has called us to. Verses 1 through 3 again. Sing for joy in the Lord. O you righteous ones, praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with harp and ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. So we got to see a portion of that up here today, didn't we? We got to see the flute. We got to see a lyre. We got to see the ten strings. We lifted our voices to the Lord. Do you know 111 times we are told to sing to the Lord? Look it up. Do a little word search. 
God called us to worship him through instruments and praise him with the lyre, the harp, the timbrel, the cymbals, the pipe, the flute. This one, some of you will not like. But we are told 30 times to shout joyfully unto the Lord. Obviously, my mother knows that very well. So, <laughs> if you've been here any time recently. So, but guys, we're told to shout. It's all throughout. Why? Because he's worthy of it. Did you not hear what I just read? He's in control. He's sovereign. He's glorious. I mean, he's providential. He's supreme ruler. He deserves every now and then to go, Woo! I've seen y'all in stadiums. You've been in my house watching Auburn and Alabama. Don't tell me you can't shout. I've seen you with pom-poms in your hands. I've watched my family watch the Cubs and the Steelers. I mean, we know how to shout. We know how to get excited. He's worthy of it all. And those are just sports teams. Are you kidding me? I'm serious. Y'all may not like me after this one, but this is the Holy Spirit saying, I'm worthy of this. Now I'm telling you how to do it or when to do it or where. There's no boundaries on praise. That's what I love about that song we sang. We're joining the angels and the saints. 24-7, he is praised around the throne. We get to join in with that. Isn't that amazing? 24-7, he's worthy of praise. So whether it's through your voice or whether through instruments or shouting, three times this is mentioned. <gasps> I've also seen your games. Woo! You know, he, we are told to lift our hands to the Lord. And the primary one in Scripture a lot of times is what? Like a child. What does this signify? Dependency. Papa, Mama, help. I need you. There's no one else but you to lift me up. That's all. That's a part of it. And as we've seen all throughout Scripture, and, you know, we've seen in the Old Testament, some wave the palms. It's part of honoring him and glorifying him. It's all relevant. Hear me, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying what he has called us to do and that's available to praise him with. Your body is an instrument of praise. It is. That's why he put it like this. Lift your hands to me. Clap to me. Bitch! Yes, it's in the Bible. But we're in a Baptist church. There's a Baptist on He said dance. One thing I can't wait to get to heaven and say, David, you got to give me a demonstration, dude. I want to see what David did walking in with the Ark of the Covenant. But he said, dance before me. I'm not telling you how or when. Grady won't care. Big thing up front, you know. The Holy Spirit hits you. Mom, you didn't hear that. So, <laughs> you did not hear that. But guys, I'm serious. This is not, but he went to dance before the Lord. I'm not telling you how to do it or when, but it's in Scripture. He didn't ever say, stop doing this. Stop praising me this way. And then obviously, you know, I know a lot of you are going to go, oh, thank God he's mentioned that. There are times to be still. And there are times to be silent in praise. And I'll go, well, I'm going to stay on that one. You know. No. Myers and Briggs do not have the front deal on your personality and how you worship. Even though I'm an ESFJ, because I'm very emotional, and he's EST, you know, with thinker. I'm feeler, he's thinker. We kind of compared. Your personality should not dictate how you praise God. Y'all hear me? I'm serious. He, is, he made you with that personality, but you're to praise him with it, in the midst of it, regardless of it. And I'm going to put this before you one time because I may not preach on it again. Do not let fear of man or pride rob God of his praise. In this room especially. Okay? And I know you all see me. I, I love to worship. I love just, I'm Italian. That's how I express myself. But I love God. He's worthy of it. I sit down there where my father sat for years in that chair 
and I'm taking his place there to worship his him, praise him because he's worthy of it. And I know I'll get to see him again, and I'll get to praise him and worship him one day as it really should be in heaven and glory. But don't rob God because of the person next to you, and you're concerned what they think or what they'll say or anything else. Because, again, what does that say to him? That the person next to you is more important of what they think than what he thinks? And that he's not worthy of that? And this is just one part of it, guys, in here. This is an amazing time. We come together to glorify his name. The primary reason we walk through those doors every week together like this is his praise. When he preaches to us, it's praise. When we sing those songs, it's praise. When we pray, it's praise. He receives honor and glory and adoration and thanksgiving and glory. That's the primary reason we walk in here. Not for a therapy session. Not for a clinic. Not to get fixed. Primary reason is his glory and his praise. Now, out of that comes him working on us and convicting us and delivering us and setting us free and revealing himself to us. But that's secondary to his praise that he deserves. So I just hope you guys, as you come in each week, read these type things. Go back into the Psalms. Read some of these scriptures that reveal his power and his glory, his sovereignty, his providence, how amazing he is, and the praise that is due his name for the glory that he wants to receive from you in so many different ways. And guys, he wants it to happen in the car. He wants it to happen in your house, with your children, in your bedroom, at your jobs, probably in the break room. But, you know, it's everywhere. There is no boundaries to praise with the Lord. When and where? It's supposed to be constant because he's worthy of it, as we sang. So we're going to declare it together. Everybody stand. Thank you for your grace and time. Grady just took me off the next list, and that's okay. I trust it. And guys, hear my heart. Sometimes bringing some truth and things can be a little difficult, but that's the heart of God for you. He wants you to set aside fear, set aside pride, wherever it is, to focus on his glory and who he is. And so we're going to declare something together, rightfully so. The last psalm, and I love how the Holy Spirit did this, is what? The praise psalm. So we're going to declare this together, and then we're going to worship and praise him as he is due on the way out. So let's say this together. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord.